for visiting the MediOps Show, brought to you by the Medical Logistics and Transportation Organization, MediOps. I'm your host, Rylan Stone. Today we are speaking with Michael Tu of Every Place Labs. Michael and his team are developing a self-service kiosk that automates point-of-care testing. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate your time. Hey, Rylan. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, of course. I think it should be an interesting conversation, and hopefully we can get some good information from you. To jump into your personal story, I know right now you're working on Every Place Labs, but let's go back before we get into that. And let's kind of, looking over your LinkedIn, it looks like you were at Northwestern University. Um, You also did some overseas work. Just kind of give me the background where you grew up, and then that early schooling, and then we can get into where you are now. Sure, definitely. So I grew up in the Dallas area, uh, in a suburb of Dallas called Plano, Texas. Uh, I grew up in a Taiwanese-American family, and I lived in Dallas the first 18 years of my life. And then after that, I moved to Chicago for college at Northwestern, where I studied biomedical engineering and economics. Uh, during my time at Northwestern, that was really when I discovered my passion for medical device innovation. Uh, and it was during that time uh, where it became a dream of mine to start a medical device company after college, which I can go into more details about after um, and so during this time, Groupon IPO'd at Northwestern, or then IPO at Northwestern, IPO'd in Chicago, but the founder of Groupon was a Northwestern music alum. So there was a lot of buzz on campus during that time. And uh, before Northwestern, I, I didn't think too much about starting my own company, but when the buzz started happening on campus, that's when I started thinking about, oh, maybe it'd be fun to start, it'd be cool to start my own company one day. And uh, during this time, I started discovering my passion for medical device development. And uh, so it became a dream of mine to start a medical device startup. Uh, at the time, it seemed a bit impossible to do, uh, like a really big hurdle. Uh, I noticed that most, most healthcare entrepreneurs, especially medical device entrepreneurs, they tended to be in their like 40s or 50s. We have a lot more <laughs> experience. And, you know, in this space, um, you know, investors tend to value, you know, entrepreneurs who have a lot of experience because with healthcare, uh, there's just so many more stakeholders involved than most industries. So you really need to understand and have a lot of experience to know what you're doing and make sure you develop a product that, um, you know, uh, keeps patients safe while also improving healthcare for them. Uh, so during this time I had for my senior design project, I got a chance to uh, collaborate with a surgeon in Nigeria to develop a surgical yeah. tool for infants in Nigeria. And so it was a really cool experience. Uh, and at the end of the program, uh, we got to go to Nigeria, Nigeria also to, uh, observe the use environment or to observe the hospital there live. And also uh, our project was part of this, um, a, a collaboration with Northwestern and the University of Ibadan, Nigeria to establish one of the first biomedical engineering programs in Sub-Saharan Africa. And so we got to also share our lessons learned about the critical thinking behind developing a medical device to the first cohort of graduate students at the University of Ibadan, Nigeria for this biomedical engineering program. Uh, so it was a really cool experience. and. Uh, I think yeah, it was like sure. a really great, yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun and uh, learned a lot through that process. What was the device that you guys made over there? What was the use mm-hmm. case for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was a surgical electrical stimulator uh, for anal rectal malformations uh, for infants. Uh, so what happens is, you know, some infants, they can be born with an anal rectal malformation. And because of that, they can't defecate. Uh, so the, the way they treat that is uh, they would take a, a surgeon would take a stimulator and shock the anal covering. And then based upon how the muscle contracts, they figure out how to, where to make the incision to open up the covering. And so wow. uh, there's a need to, for a low cost version of uh, this type of surgical device. So that's what we uh, worked with the surgeon on developing wow. during this program. Very interesting, very niche uh, tool that you guys kind of developed there for sure. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely something I would uh it's a need I would not have known about otherwise if it wasn't yeah. the program. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So then from that, uh, where did you kind of mm-hmm. go from there? So now you've, you've got this under your belt. You're like, wow, I really, really like the hardware, the device uh, manufacturing, all of this for healthcare, which is like you said, a very different mm-hmm. route than a lot of people take. It's very intensive from a capital perspective and a time perspective. Right, um, right. So yeah, where did you kind of go from, from there? Yeah. So after that, um, I stayed at Northwestern for another year for grad school. And uh, during that time, I was part of a team that developed a litter box for cats that analyzes the urine in cats for kidney disease. And so a lot of cats, as they get older, as they approach like age 15, uh, they start developing chronic kidney disease. But by the time their owners notice the symptoms, uh, it's already too late to treat the symptoms. Hmm. And so what our goal was to develop this like litter box product that would analyze the urine as cats pee and uh, it will catch the kidney disease early on. And uh, it was a cool product and a great business opportunity. Uh, But during Northwestern, I discovered my passion was really improving human health through medical device design. So I wondered, is an analogous technology possible for humans, something that automates the diagnostic testing process for humans? And this inspiration eventually became uh, what we're working on at Every Place Labs today. And I'll share more about uh, that journey shortly. And so uh, after Northwestern, I went into the medical device industry. Uh, First, I worked at Fresenius. And then after that, I worked at Baxter Healthcare. And uh, during this time, during my time at Baxter, I got the chance to co-lead the development of a new class two medical device from its early concept through regulatory approval. Uh, so I, I learned the, you know, uh, how to develop a product and go through the regulatory framework, uh, and you know, from be- beginning to end, essentially. Hmm. And uh, so it was a um, it was a great uh, experience uh, that I'm applying now to our Every Place Labs. And uh, during this time, in my nights and weekends for about three and a half years, uh, I worked with my team to get Every Place Labs off the ground. And so our, our CEO, Claire Zhou, uh, she comes from a management consulting background. She's really good at market research. So uh, we, we, you know, we, we, we put together a team and we went through a mentorship program at a healthcare startup incubator called Matter in Chicago. And uh, during this program, we formed a mentorship board of industry executives uh, who would get feedback on our business models and what we're thinking about doing. And so we, uh, the goal is to basically find a met need for a, uh, automated urine testing. And hmm. so we start interviewing many clinicians about the problems they face with urine testing. And we started hearing from emergency medicine physicians over and over again that uh, urine testing is a major bottleneck to patient care in the ER. Uh, so it's, it's something that 30% of patients need, uh, either a urine pregnancy test or a general urinalysis test when they go into the ER. Uh, but because of understaffing, it ends up taking clinical staff an average of 65 minutes to turn around what should be a fast rapid test, something wow. that should only take three minutes. So today patients uh, self-collect a urine sample and they usually leave it on a counter for the clinical staff. But then oftentimes the sample will just, will just sit there for the next hour before a, uh, a clinical staff member has bandwidth to run the tests. And so what happens, uh, this ends up creating bottlenecks in the care. So when the physician sees the patient, uh, they don't have the test result yet. And because of this, uh, they can't order, uh, oftentimes they need to order like a CT scan as an example. Mm. So they can't order the CT scan. So they go see other patients and come back later when the test is ready. So this creates a delay and when the CT scan is ordered, and then that creates a delay and when the patient's treated and discharged, which causes the next patient to be seen later on, uh, we estimate about 30 minutes later. And so because of this, this ends up extending wait times and patient length of stay in the ERs overall. And so our goal now with Every Place Labs is we're developing a self-service diagnostic kiosk that automates the point of care diagnostic process to improve the efficiency and patient experience of testing 
in acute care settings like emergency departments. So we're deploying our kiosk in the waiting room or the triage area in the emergency rooms. And then patients, uh, instead of leaving their urine samples on counter for the staff members, they insert the urine sample into our kiosk. And then the robotics within our kiosk automate the testing process, which will speed up the turnaround time from 65 minutes to five minutes. And because of this, wow. we're improving the efficiency of testing and removing dependencies on clinical staff and their availability to run the tests. And by doing this, we're improving like patient throughput in the ER and reducing wait times, improving patient satisfaction. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that that's a huge difference from 60 minutes down to five minutes. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there is a hard metric for you guys to kind of track of patient outcome. I mean, if a doctor can make that informed decision quicker, mm-hmm. that can kind of right. help right. care. Um, so, so yeah, very, very interesting. Well, can kind of congrats on getting to this point so far, where is Everplace Labs at today? Are you guys piloting? Are you in market? Where are you guys at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say we're, we're starting to approach the end of our pilot phase. And, um, and so we've done, um, a, um, a few pilots in the life cycle of our company. Um, uh, and I can go into more details about that shortly. Uh, but at a high level, uh, we've done a clinical trial with Northwestern's OBGYN department. Uh, for urine pregnancy testing. Uh, during the study, uh, we tested our alpha prototype. Uh, 54 patients were recruited and we achieved a 98% accuracy without any cross-contamination of patient results. So it was a great start, uh, first study we've done. Uh, during the pandemic, we did a clinical pilot with the Illinois Mathematics and Science Academy. It's a leading boarding school where students live on campus 24, uh, essentially 24 hmm. seven. Uh, this pilot was more for COVID testing. So it was a COVID testing pilot. And so sure. we deployed our kiosk at uh, the high school IMSA. And then 24 students and staff used our kiosk to test themselves for COVID. And we also did a comparison with PCR test results. And so in this study, uh, our kiosk prototype, uh, the, what we call our beta prototype, it received the average user experience score of 9.1 out of 10. And hmm. the accuracy and specificity in the study was 100%. Wow. Uh, so that's another study we, de- we, we did. Uh, we also did a usability pilot at um, the manu- at a manufacturing plant of a drug de- um, drug delivery company called Numera. Uh, so it's a French drug delivery company with a manufacturing plant in Chicago. And so uh, we brought our kiosk prototype there and the manufacturing plant workers went through the workflow of using the kiosk and they gave feedback on, uh, you- on what the experience was like using the kiosk. And with our kiosk, there's a lot of uh, heavy graphical based instructions. And so even though a lot of the manufacturing plant workers, their first language was Spanish instead of English, our interface was in English. Like they found our kiosk to be very easy to use compared to hmm. some of the other uh, COVID tests they've done in the market. And so uh, that was also uh, the, the results there were very promising as well. Uh, in the future, we'll be we'll have different languages in our kiosks, including you know Spanish as well. Uh, but it, it was good to know, like even even with English, even if the language was in English, because of the graphics, we improved the overall experience. And uh, our goal this uh, later this year and this next year is to do a clinical pilot in an emergency department setting where we deploy our kiosk there and we do a pilot for urine pregnancy testing to prove out the operational viability and clinical accuracy of our prototype in this real world emergency department setting. And when we're done with that, I would say we're done with the pilot phase. Gotcha. Very, very cool. That's incredible traction. So congrats for all of that. Oh, oh thank you. Yeah, just kind of, I guess what I'm most curious in is what was it like developing and building this? This is a very, it's, it's a real thing. It's not software. It's not a SaaS product. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a real piece of hardware. How is developing that? What was the process like, especially for healthcare in a very regulated industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I would say 
there's a few layers to this. There's like the pure like technical side. And I think there's like more like the fundraising dynamics of how to fund yeah. developing a hardware product with a regulatory component. Uh, I will start, I'll start with the technical side. Uh, so early on, you know, we recognized, you know, most of our, our founding team, we were relatively fresh out of college and grad school at the time. Uh, so we realized, you know, um, we need to learn from industry veterans who've been there and done this before. And so we formed an advisory board of uh, industry leaders from diagnostics and healthcare early on, uh, who were uh, technical, commercial, and clinical leaders in the, in the space. So in particular, we had uh, a few technical advisors that have been heavily involved with our product development process throughout the life cycle of our company. Uh, so as a few examples, we have uh, Eric Shane. He's a former R&D leader at Avid Diagnostics. I forget the exact number of patents he has, but I think it's something like 100 patents during his time. Wow. It. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, super smart guy, a very nice person as well. And um, uh, we've also, um, there's also like Mark Fisher, who comes from a diagnostic device development background at Northwestern. Uh, and also Craig Sampson, he's an early founding leader of IDO, uh, human centered design expert. And so uh, what we usually do is like, we would have these advisory sessions with them where they would you know, poke holes at our design and figure out, give us feedback on the data that we're seeing uh, so that we can like kind of like speed up our process of optimizing our prototypes uh, to so that it performs as intended during our studies. Uh, and usually, gotcha. you know, uh, they're usually right whenever they make recommendations. So I, we've learned, we should <laughs> you know, try out what they, what they suggest first, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And then where are they being built right now? Are, are you guys building them yourselves? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we are, um, they're being built in our uh, office in Chicago. Uh, so okay. in two, two main locations. So uh, we're based out of M-Hub in Chicago. It's like a hardware uh, development incubator in the Chicago area. And then gotcha. we also have a wet lab space at Helix 51 in Rosalind Franklin Medical School in North Chicago. Uh, so we, we split our product development between these two locations. Uh, and so like at M-Hub, there's a lot of like machinery that we can use to make physical prototypes. Um, and then at uh, Helix 51, we have a biosafety level two compatible uh, wet lab space. So uh, we can do things like uh, viral testing there uh, using like viral positive controls when we're wow. like COVID testing, things like that. Very cool. So what's been the hardest roadblock that you guys have encountered? Uh, again, back to healthcare being crazy regulated, a lot of people yeah. just not wanting to do things differently. Yeah. What's been a, the biggest hurdle that you've had in getting your devices into emergency rooms, into these testing areas where people can start tests? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so before I started the company, uh, before I started this medical device company, I didn't realize there's a very like industry specific fundraising uh, dynamic uh, hmm. for early stage medical device startups. Um, so it turned out uh, there aren't really pre-seed or C-stage venture capital firms that invest in medical devices. Uh, usually venture capital firms don't start investing in medical devices until the series A or series B stage. And usually not until a medical device startup has FDA approval or almost has FDA approval. Uh, so that ends up creating this really big chicken and egg dynamic uh, and I'm challenge sure. where it's like, uh, for us to go from you know idea to FDA approval, we probably need to raise six point five million dollars overall. Uh, so, so, but to raise that money, we have to show you know product development and clinical study progress. So it becomes you know how do you develop the product without the capital? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that, I would say that's been the biggest challenge for us uh, as a company. So, so what we've learned to do is be like really lean as a team and achieve results with minimal capital. And uh, we found like. Mainly, I would say like angel investors along the way. Uh, oftentimes, they're like uh, they come from a healthcare background. Maybe they're a medical device or biotech executive previously, 
and they invest maybe $25,000 to $50,000 at a time. So we get these like small checks where we make like slow, steady incremental progress and we like, yeah. kind of bootstrap our way uh, through the, pro uh, uh, the, the process over time. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's a long process um, that can take some time. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've learned to be patient with the process as well. So I, I worked on this in my nights and weekends about three and a half years, and then I went full-time about four years ago. So, wow. uh, you know, it's been top of mind, you know, seven to eight years now for me. Uh, so we, you know, we just, you know, we're just, we just uh, do our best to stay resilient and keep pushing. And, you know, I think once we're done with the pilot phase, then we'll do like a formal, like bigger series A raise. And I think at that time, um, things should start speeding up for us. So we'll develop our production product and submit that to the FDA for approval. And then after that, uh, we'll be commercial. Wow. Well, again, congrats. I just kind of keep echoing that. It's just okay, a whole bunch you. of big milestones as you guys have continued to come along. So that is very impressive. For someone going into the hardware space in healthcare, what would be your advice to that starting entrepreneur that is like, I want to bite off this really big bite of stuff. And yeah, it, it's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I would say uh, there's a few pieces of advice I would share. So uh, the first one is, you know, don't overthink it and just don't overthink it and just get started. Uh, what I noticed is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who have ideas and want to start a company. And oftentimes I think they don't get it off the ground because they're waiting until they have like a very great or a very perfect idea. And they end up not taking the steps to get started to execute and like move forward and generate momentum. And so I think like the key is really generating momentum. And the best way to generate momentum is just to get started. And, you know, your initial idea may not most likely won't be what uh, you eventually start as a company. Like um, we've gone through many pivots as a company as well. So we've gone through many iterations. Um, and, but I think by getting started, you create, you, you start developing the habits to execute consistently on what will become your company. And also uh, you start learning new information uh, to, that will help you refine your idea to become what you eventually truly pursue. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And I do agree that that momentum mm -hmm. in starting anything is very, very important. You can't get right, sidetracked right. on, on other projects. You really got to stay laser focused on what mm -hmm. you're building and just continue yeah. to go and healthcare will, will kind of beat you down. Um, right, exactly. so it's yeah. even, yeah. even more important to really right, right. just continue going. Right, right. Uh, so, so congrats again, I, I just keep saying that. So sorry. Okay. To, well, no, I appreciate it. But... I appreciate you saying that. Uh, the second piece of advice I would share would be um, as you're forming your team, I think um, in terms of like characteristics to look for in a team and for yourself and something to self-reflect about before really jumping into this is, uh, especially for medical devices, it's going to be a very long journey. And so I think really the people who stick with it, their primary motivation is like intrinsic motivation to hmm. uh, have a positive impact on patients and patient care. Uh, I think like uh, if it's, if someone's primary motivation is more like financially oriented or it can even be like, uh, you know, more like, you know, the technology is really cool, but uh, maybe not so much about the patient. It, it can be very easy to get burnt out by the process because, uh, you know, it'll take a while. Usually it will take most people a long time to raise the capital. Uh, it will take a long time to get through FDA approval, to develop the prototypes, do all the studies. So uh, it's a long journey, I think, uh, to really stay motivated and uh, persevere through the challenges. It has to be primarily driven by intrinsic motivation. If you looked back at, all of your career and you were giving advice to a, a young entrepreneur, not necessarily in the hardware space. Um, I, I know you already mentioned just kind of keep going, but yeah. 
what would be like a key takeaway? Uh, I know you, you, you did mention that kind of continue to go, but what would be like something exciting, I guess, uh, that you're like, hey, this is something that I've taken away from my business that's just been really, really impactful on yourself. Mm-hmm. What would that be? So um, I guess like in terms of a lesson learned, like something that I've enjoyed about the process. Yeah. Or, uh, in terms of recommendations, you know, I think the main one would be the first one I mentioned about, you know, just get started and keep, keep pushing. Uh, in terms of like what I've really enjoyed about the process was uh, it's given me a chance to meet some uh, really inspiring and accomplished and generous healthcare leaders uh, at a relatively young age. Uh, so uh, as an example, uh, you know, one of our advisors, he is uh, the former founding or he, he he's, a, uh, he's the founding CEO of BJC Healthcare, uh, WashU's uh, healthcare system. Uh, he's in the Healthcare Hall of Fame as a pioneer of integrated healthcare. So he was like one of the first uh, healthcare leaders to really uh, push a healthcare system to try out that model, which is, you know, across the U.S. today. Uh, you know, we get to learn from mentors like that uh, with this background. And a lot of our mentors and advisors have been like really generous with their time uh, with us. So like uh, when we were doing this our nights and weekends, they would, you know, meet with us on the weekend to like review our prototypes or share feedback on our business model. Uh, I think without their support in that way and their generosity, like we wouldn't have been able to get this company off the ground. Uh, so I think that's what I've enjoyed the most about the process. That's an awesome takeaway. Well, thank you, Michael, for coming on the show. I I really do appreciate your time. I think we had a good conversation and hope you have a great rest of your week. You too, Rylan. I really appreciate you having me. 